I will not squander each day. So it, in order to make that a, a reality, an ethos or a lifestyle, I have to have a plan. And sometimes the plan can be well made, but the discipline is lacking. The consistency is lacking. And especially with creative people, that part, I think sometimes been demonized. I want you to meet Anna Fitzgerald, a lifestyle design coach, music industry veteran, lifelong creative, and founder at the Heartbeat Hive, a coaching consultancy helping creators eliminate burnout and design the life they love using the science of flow. Today, we'll talk about overcoming loss, finding hope, the science of flow, and Anna's amazing creative journey. And this is Anna Fitzgerald. I'm kind of regrouping after a period that was really hard on me and, and kind of springboarded me in my entrepreneurship. So um, I am a lifestyle designer and coach for creative people. So in that, um, you know, lifestyle design sounds kind of <laughs> um, abstract, but Basically, I work with each creative person and their preferences, their desires, their goals, but also their biometrics. So their sleep and heart rate variability, along with some positive psychology and uh, examination of what causes them to be overwhelmed and how can we get them back on track. So that's sort of in a nutshell what I use to create a lifestyle design for each person. Because you mentioned lifestyle design. And if I recall correctly, lifestyle design is something that Tim Ferriss teaches with uh, the four hour work week. Yeah, um, I I guess I am a uh, offshoot of of the term but I, uh, I have not read that book <laughs> as okay. popular as it is. Um, my roots of the motives for what I do, maybe using the same term, is how do we create more meaning? So if we create more meaning in life, regardless of when our time is up, when we go or pass on, it means that every day is full of the things that you want to do or that are maybe not what you to do in the specific task but are working towards something uh, a forward motion so of course we have to do things we don't exactly like sometimes but a favorite question that i have is for anything that i'm doing and i don't really enjoy is how do i make it fun um so one of the things that kind of drove me to look at this was Reading Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's work, who is, if you know him, the godfather of flow. He had many studies. He is a Hungarian-American psychologist, um, and he did some studies over a long period of time of everyday people, factory workers, professors, artists, scientists, and he was looking for what creates a lot of meaning in people's lives, but also how do they achieve what they uh, do, which sometimes is seemingly impossible, but also how do they enjoy it along the way, long-term? So we're talking about long-term fulfillment and some would say happiness. So when I was looking at that, I had been teaching the basics of flow at a literary nonprofit that I was managing. And, um, in 2019, I had a series of really tough events. I lost my stepfather and my father within five months of each other. So it was a really hard year. And what stuck out to me was this drive that I had to keep going. At that point, I had been coaching a little over four years um, and thinking, hmm, well, life has to go on here. I can't simply stay in bed. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I would like to do. But I also want to 
continue on living my life to the fullest because that's what, you know, my, my dad would have wanted. So in flow, there are very serious chemicals happening when you go into deep focus. And some of those, um, can create a high, um, but you can be more productive. That's what I'm getting at. So by being more productive in these shorter periods of time, you can progress toward your own goals in a better fashion. That's really powerful. And thank you for sharing, you know, about your, your dad passing. And uh, I am no stranger to that. My dad actually passed away earlier this year and it, it has been a challenge. It's interesting that you mentioned that the work that you do is in a way to make your dad proud, right? Yeah, and it was very sudden. Uh, it was a an aviation accident. So um, it's just really hard, you know, all, all death is, is hard. But to not know <laughs> um, when our time is up, that's sort of what I, I took from it in that. I will not squander each day. <laughs> so it, in order to make that a, a reality, an ethos or a lifestyle, I have to have a plan. And sometimes the plan can be well made, but the discipline is lacking. The consistency is lacking. And especially with creative people, that part is, um, I think, sometimes been demonized <laughs> a little bit, you know, like boot camp or something but really if it's bringing you forward toward what you want in life i don't see it as a bad thing to have that grit yeah no that's so well said and after those events happened how long did it take you to realize where your path needed to take you yeah so i had been coaching um creative people on mindset for about four years, I kind of started bringing in a little more science to support some of the ideas that we would talk about. And um, the more that I brought in sleep, heart rate variability, and things like that, about half my clients responded very well to. And I just thought, hmm, I wonder why society tries to separate the mind and the body so much. You know, like <laughs> it's not separable by default. You're inside of a body which has biochemistry, right? Which helps to operate your brain. And likewise, you can have the awareness to slow your breathing down to then change your biochemistry. So it's a system that works together. And I thought, you know what? Creative people could really benefit from some of these techniques, but also just feeling and having the agency or investment in their own design, not being told, oh, this is the way you need to do it. I love that. And, you know, working with creators like artists and musicians. So I'm, I'm curious, what inspired you to go after, I guess, audience? Yeah, excellent question. So I have been a musician since the age of five. Um, I have a couple of arts degrees. I have a degree in art education and then a master's in radio, TV, film, and uh, just have been in the arts um, in many, many facets. And it is life to me. So um, I have the identification with the activities and in each person I work with, I've either done it myself or, you know, lived with different types of artists or worked with them in my career. And I also have an arts nonprofit management career. So it's just very natural to me, but I also have the gift of discipline having a uh, had two military parents, three if you count my stepfather. And so I can see the benefit of structure to allow more freedom. And that seems very counterintuitive <laughs> to think, huh, well, I just want to be free. And, and that's true. But as you know, if you have the discipline to work and save money, then you have the money to be free and spend it how you'd like. So that's just one example, but time can be that way. 
So for example, having a strong boundary when someone wants you to go out and party or whatever, <laughs> um, but that would take you away from something you're deeply focused on, which would, you know, stagnate you at that moment or keep you from progressing perhaps the next day because you wouldn't be operating on all cylinders. Then having that boundary to say, mm, not today, but maybe this weekend. Or I've designed and allotted that time for that type of activity. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's uh, the artist that I feel being one and knowing how much these things have changed my personal life. It's really awesome to be able to work with the type of creatives that you are because you can relate to those groups of people. And you mentioned that you're also an artist and you're a songwriter and musician. And I'm curious, do you actively perform or do you create music today? I haven't in a while, but I just um, have partnered with someone to create an album. So that's exciting. Um, I've been playing the cello for 26 years, I believe, 26 or 27 years. Um, and really, I really fell in love with that. Um, I was in musical theater. I, I worked in Nashville and in copyright at Sony. And I also worked with small labels and big labels like uh, Third Man and Universal and um, yeah, at United Record Pressing. Wow. That's really impressive. Uh, so, fun fact. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but the degree that I majored in in college was music business. So I am no stranger to the ins and outs of how the industry works. However, um, I ended up going more into marketing because around the time that I graduated, Piracy was becoming a greater concern, and I don't think the industry was in the best shape. So my master's research was on the history of concert posters and how music subcultures form geographically and socially. So um, I totally understand. I've, I've written about nostalgia and why physical media is important to the arts. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an interesting landscape at this point with like, what are they, NFTs and artists? So I, I think that's very interesting. So how would you say that the music industry has changed and evolved in the last 10 years? Where do you, where do you see it going in the next 10 years? I like this um, digression. <laughs> It's funny because I've been on all sides. So as a performer, you know, I've been in sessions where it was kind of really fun. And, you know, in the end, the record got put out and I can look on YouTube and see my voice coming out of another person's mouth and never have gotten credit. Things like that to working in an office at Sony, calculating royalties to seeing a digital version of a record you go to a physical product end to end and then have a digital download card with the record so <clears throat> i definitely think that it will always be changing but i do think that there's a couple of camps so one camp would be i really don't care i just want to make the art it'll happen the way it's going to happen so they're gaining that meaning, going back to meaning through the doing, the consistent action. And the discovery is part of that meaning for their audience or potential audience. And there's others in, in another camp that they're very smart and savvy about the distribution and the reception of their work. So they, if they're lucky, they really enjoy making the art and the process of the fruits of their labor <laughs> through distribution, whatever that might be, whether it's Bandcamp, YouTube, uh, synchronizations in film and TV, or straight up record sales, or um, streaming, which is a very low, <laughs> a very low output, unfortunately. 
that's really interesting. Do you think that the role of a record label is also changing in the way that they function and exist? Is that role changing or do you see that changing anytime in the future? I think that there will always be record labels who set up their artists to perform at record stores or smaller events or um, will advertise for the musician, maybe have like a tour poster up. With COVID, that's been interesting to see record stores, which were already kind of um, hanging on to either be revived because the fan base decided I want this store to stay open. It really means something to me. But going back to what you were saying about physical media, without the physical media, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, if you think about a digital landscape. So you have to have your phone, which is a physical item, to be a conduit to open that digital media, to have a connection with it, which brings you to a person who made the music, right? So you always are going to have the conduit of something physical. So I think there's labels that will continue on with that. And then there's labels who are very much about volume through the digital market. I take instances like we were talking about, say, an entire industry, which I've studied or worked in. And if the person is in that industry, I have pretty good idea, if not am able to, help them navigate, okay, where do you want to go? So if, if you were an artist who was looking at digital distribution, then we could explore that. But before we would look at that, we'd look at you as a person. Because if you're not sleeping well, you're probably not going to make good art. If you're not eating well, you're probably not going to make good art. <laughs> and if your uh, stress levels are through the roof, which you can indicate and keep an eye on through heart rate variability, then you're, you're going to burn out. So my goal is to prevent burnout. And along the way, for you to feel satisfaction, happiness, but long-term meaning in your life. That is so, so important. You know, yes. <laughs> not only thinking about what you're doing as a creative art, but also your well-being. And I don't think we do that enough. I certainly don't. I need to go back to the gym. As an example, <laughs> yeah. I need to eat better. I need to sleep better. Like there's so many things that I have to do. So how do you track these things? Do you yeah. use an Apple watch? Do you use Fitbit? What are you using to, to measure these different metrics? Yeah, you can. You can use a lot of devices. Um, one part of my practice is I really try not to rely on too many devices for you to be able to learn these things. So for example, there are tons of apps that help you with breathing, right? What happens when you get notifications while you're using the app? You know, so that again is a conduit toward distraction. And what I teach is deep focus. That's what flow is. So with what I'm, I'm teaching people and coaching people on, I really try to stay away from devices, but if you are using an Apple watch, you can track heart rate variability. There's an app that I recommend that's very cheap. It's 10 or $12 uh, one time and it's called HRV four training, the number four. Um, and what that is, is it goes through the light on your camera. And you just place your finger on it. It takes one minute to take the reading each day. And what it can do is show you where and or if your body is in a stress state as soon as you wake up. So heart rate variability is the distance between your heartbeats. And when that's incoherent, your body is in a stress state. That's your autonomic nervous system. So the fight or flight, rest and digest aspect of your body. So if you wake up and you take your reading, let's say <clears throat> via this simple app, um, and it's low, then what you would learn is how to adapt your day to either take your HRV up or adjust your appointments 
your even your workout. Let's say you you had decided to do a high intensity workout that day. Well, that day, if your HRV was low, you would probably need to switch back down to something like yoga or walking or a bike ride or something. So yeah. profound. Wow. <laughs> it's just adapting you and being listening to your intuition, you know, listening to it and saying there's the external, which that number is external. It's an indicator for you to say, oh, wow, my body's stressed. What can I do right now to adapt my day? And breathing is one of the first things you can do that really does affect heart rate variability. I try to teach people how to do this without devices. That's just tuning into you. So interoception, that's what that's called. It's, it's listening to the body and being so aware that you are able to affect your body. So it comes with practice, but yeah, the Apple watch is fine. It does a lot of things, amazing things. But if you wake up and you automatically are reliant on devices, then how, how well are you tuning into your own body? I'm not sure of what that answer would be for each person. But for me, I check in with myself first and then the devices are secondary. Um, the other way around, because mm -hmm. like literally the first thing I do is I go into my notion, turn on my computer and check my emails. And that's the first thing I do each morning. If you gave yourself 10 minutes even to envision your future, to breathe deeply, to have a gratitude. Uh, there's a book written by Hal Elrod and great book, The Miracle Warning. But essentially I have these things that I do, for example, I drink water in the morning, I look at my list of goals that I have, and then I look at what I need to do each day. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. What I would encourage you to do is to move before you would look at any blue light, any screens, or have that cognitive load of where you're going, because you're very driven, as I can tell. So your body might need a little bit of release in that sense before you tax the mind. So our brain is made up of networks, right? So the way information, the way synapses happen are, are through movement in different areas of the brain. Your body mimics that when it moves. So spatially, it's really good for us to move around. And it can help us, as you know, like in your environment, when your environment is messy, sometimes it's hard to think. It's the same concept. It's stimuli coming at you. So what I'm teaching and what I'm coaching people on is really tuning in to place yourself first so that then you can serve other people. Then you can bring beauty to the world through your art or your music. Then you can be there for your family. But if you become depleted or burn out on the way, you really won't be able to have an impact the way that most people desire. That's a really great point. <laughs> What is your superpower? <laughs> okay, so my superpower is, I would say, I'm very intuitive with other people. And I have great patience. So when I speak with someone, especially in person, I'm able to kind of see, hmm, they're really struggling with this or that. But I have the patience to wait and let it let it unfold and not draw it out of someone because that can create a lot of resistance. So my superpower is being incredibly calm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure working in the music industry definitely requires a lot of patience. And working with artists, you have to be very patient and calm. So oh, man. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you had asked about me and in you know, performing and music. Um, I am actually working on a new project aside from this record um, on a new meditation series that is going to be very different and a lot of organic recording. So um, I'm sort of very sensitive to sound, um, but I, there's so many meditation tracks that I just don't like because <laughs> they're a little too active for the brain. So the brain can go into these um, higher wavelengths and more active wavelengths, and it can pull you out of that 
um, relaxation. So I'm going to be designing uh, meditation tracks that are are a little different and possibly some 3D video and virtual reality type environments. But I'm just starting on that. That sounds really cool. I wouldn't say I've been a huge fan of meditation, but I've been always curious about meditation. And I've always wanted to do more of that because sometimes you need to relax your mind and let everything external just go so you can be at peace with what you are doing internally and take care of your mind. Right. I agree. Um, That's why sleep is a priority because it's the body's mechanism to eliminate all of that stimuli. And, And before we became evolved to a point where now we're super active in the mind, um, sleep was doing a lot of work to clear out, you know, stress proteins in the brain and, and just shut you down basically. But we have an exponential amount of stimuli at this point. Every, you know, device that you have is a conduit to something else. Unless you're living in like a remote area, you are overstimulated. And that's where that discipline and, you know, awareness comes along to say, hmm, you know what? I just can't watch the news today. (laughs) That is not going to bring me forward. And that's a personal choice you have to make um, or I teach energy management as well. So I don't really make people be obsessed with time. I have them get obsessed with their energy. So if interacting with someone who's difficult, who they know is difficult, and they've built it into their schedule, isn't bringing them forward, but it brings them back because they're exhausted when they get back from that lunch or that coffee. I have them kind of think about, "Mm, what is a way to shorten that? reverse engineer it out of their life (laughs) because it's really not been helpful for them. That's their energy that they could be putting towards something that's very meaningful for them. As a lifestyle design coach, what is some advice that you would give to the average creator on how to improve their life with lifestyle design and the things that you teach? Sure. Um, This is a lovely question. It's pretty simple. So a couple of things. One would be to write out your non-negotiables. So if you were to have a a 168-hour calendar in front of you for one week, and you actually blocked out all the time that you need to sleep, that you want to sleep, all the time you spent eating, preparing food, and then blocked out the things that you really, really wanted to do every day, then you inserted your work. What would that look like? And not everyone has that luxury, let's say, to to flip the script like that. But I encourage you to do so anyway, to kind of see, hmm, am I headed in a direction where I could add in more of those activities that are very meaningful for me? And sometimes that might be your art or friendships or relationships. And the thing is, having learned from losing people very suddenly is that you don't know when your time is going to come. So for me, I'm very, I'm very ambitious and, and stubborn in a way where I just won't waste my time with things that really drain me, you know, it's it's sort of like a two strikes. <laughs> the first time you realize, wow, that was kind of draining. And the second time you're like, you need to make a decision is, do I want to do this or not? Like, is this bringing me forward or backward? And how long am I willing to be off, off of my forward motion? The second thing, so one is figure out what your non-negotiables are. The second thing is to use math. So. I love doing this with people because they're kind of shocked sometimes about either the amount of time that they can find or the amount of time that they are not using um, toward toward fruitful activities. And I'm not saying that everything you do has to be like this giant thing, right? So I'll get to that in the next, the final point. Um, So math-wise, 
What I like to remind people about when they say, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I, I just don't have, I can't find the time. Well, every time you say that, you're reinforcing that you're never going to find the time. <laughs> but may I remind you that athletes, there are some athletes who run an entire mile in less than five minutes. So you getting down and doing 10 push-ups and 15 sit-ups, you know, in less than five minutes is equivalent. So having the lack mindset versus the abundance mindset to say, hey, I've got five minutes. What am I going to do? <laughs> and before you know it, you find five of those five minutes throughout your day and you've done an entire workout that you may have done in one shot at the gym, but now you don't have to go to the gym. Have you read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear? I have not. I am oh, the unpopular person who doesn't read these very popular books. <laughs> okay. I very highly recommend that you read it because yeah. that is the exact strategy that James Clear talks about in his book to spend five minutes, for example, going to the gym and just make a goal. I'm going to go for five minutes. Within a week's time, you're going to realize, well, I've been going here for five minutes. Maybe I should spend 10 minutes because five is kind of a waste of my time, right? And eventually you build that repetition of doing something enough times where it becomes a habit and it becomes a part of what you do. And sometimes we can be overwhelmed with things like working out because an hour a day, who has the time for that? But if you tell yourself, can I spend maybe five or 10 minutes a day? Within a month, you're going to feel better. You're going to feel the benefits of it. And it's going to motivate you to do it even more. Yeah, I, I would go even further because you need the physical movement break from the blue light, from the screen, from the stationary uh, way that your body is sitting or standing even. Um, so I say mix it up. If I wait like a like a doggy, <laughs> you know, towards the end of the day, like, oh, now I get to go do this. Now I get to go have fun. That's how I treat serotonin. I dose myself by fun activities throughout the day instead of working and grinding until the end of the day when I have no more energy left to even have fun. That is against all that I believe. <laughs> and it comes from losing someone very suddenly. So I, I encourage people to, yes, develop the habit, but mix it in through your day. Otherwise you are, you're just constantly like, oh, I'll get to it. Oh, I have to wait for it. I say now, <laughs> you know, maybe not, it may not come in the format and, you know, at the level that you had envisioned, but Smaller doses are definitely more helpful, but moving around is, is very helpful. So the third thing is to really build in your downtime. If you do not do that, you are cheating yourself of productivity, of forward motion and growth, really, because you are going to get burnout. So really, really build that in, prioritize it. That's such great advice. And I think I have two of the three on the right track. <laughs> Can you guess Good. which ones I have on the right track? <laughs> well, you having that practice in the morning, um, that's excellent. And I think you had said that you want to go back to the gym. Yeah, well, I, I, and I mean, I, I can probably wait, but I probably should. At least I've been doing Beat Saber because at least it gets me moving at home. Yeah. My only concern is then stepping on my dog because he's 10 pounds, but that's another <laughs> story. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think you mentioned something so powerful, remembering your non-negotiables. And that's something that really drives home to me because we're very similar in that respect because my dad passed away very suddenly. COVID happened very quickly and it just, it was very unexpected, right? And that really motivated me to take things up a notch with everything that I was doing. Like I was doing SEO for 10 plus years, but I was still not happy. 
didn't have a house that I wanted to eventually have my dad move in with me. These things didn't happen, but it led me to be more motivated with the things that I'm doing and to be much more intentional with what I'm doing. So it led me on a much better path where I want my future to be, not only in the next three months, six months, 12 months, five years, gave me more of a purpose in life overall. And I think that is very important to find wherever you may find it. Now, onto the thing that I'm really failing at, finding the time for yourself, mm, right? Yeah. Because in the mornings, I do the miracle morning to focus in on what I appreciate in life and what I need to do in order to get to where I need to be, you know, financially or, or career-wise. But it always goes back to like, what are the non-negotiables? So one of the things to remember is that the higher quality you are, the higher quality your output. <laughs> so if you don't sleep enough, let's just say that's an example for someone out there. If you don't sleep enough, you're more likely to make mistakes, right? But with HRV, if your HRV is low, you are, it's been linked to making poor decisions and also low language capacity. So you can stutter. There's so much tied to this um, heart rate variability, which is basically an indicator of how your vagus nerve is functioning. And the vagus nerve is pretty much, I would say, the largest nerve in the body. It has a couple of um, branches, but um, yeah, it wraps around some major organs as well, your vocal cords. Um, so yeah, that's why my, my big number is the HRV. Um, aside from like sleep duration and depth and everything. But let's go back to math for one second, if we can. Um, one thing that I like to ask people to do with relationships. So I did this with my grandmother and I thought about, hmm, I go to visit her in the summer. It's for a week. In that week, I spend probably four days with her and I've really only spent about eight hours. So 32 hours and I calculated up, you know, how many years I might spend with her. And at the time it really was going to be in my mind around seven years, 224 hours for the span of my, the rest of my life and possibly hers just wasn't a very good number for me. When I actually calculated that up, that's 32 hours for seven years. That's one time a year I would go visit her. And I ended up spending months with her before she died. And she died much later than I anticipated, but I'll never forget the turning point. It was when I did the math and that number was not good enough for me. So you can say for yourself, is that good enough for me? Is 15 minutes a day on me my best friend, the only one of me there is, <laughs> who, who many people count on, many people love, is it good enough? And sometimes that answer is, it changes depending on the season of your life, but you'll reach a point where it isn't good enough. And that's when you're inspired to change. That's, that's really powerful. And uh, I think that resonates very much for me because I think the answer for me is no. There wasn't enough time mm -hmm. uh, in this case. Anyways, you know, remember your why and really look at the numbers, not only from a perspective of, you know, looking at how your metrics are performing, but your family and your friends and the people in your life who matter, because you do come to realize that ultimately time is finite and you only have so much time in the world to make a difference, to spend time with the people you care about it's the most valuable non-renewable resource i think time is love that so how do you carefully make use of your time to make the most of the time that you have so it comes down to energy i teach this energy management and i have a grid actually and uh, i'm going to be putting that out soon um, for purchase it's about energy so if I have high energy and I have clarified what will bring me forward in each area of my life or project, 
then that's excellent. So I can go to a place and I have a grid. So in one part of the grid, it's high energy, high return. So that would be something like working out. It takes a lot out of me, but it gives a high return, right? So if at that moment I have that high energy, then I will pick something from that side. Um, so the key is what you're asking is clarity. Because if you don't know what you're supposed to do or what you want to do, then you'll just wander around, <laughs> you know, and get distracted and, you know, start looking at your phone or whatever. So I, I totally um, know that's a, a possibility and very much a reality for many people. So my suggestion is to get very, very clear. And it may seem very minuscule, like put away shoes or something, you know, <laughs> but if you can get clarity on, on all of that, then when the time comes and your energy is a certain level, then you'll be able to take action faster. And yeah, I, I think that clarity, it, it is so important because it, it allows for you to stay focused on what you need to do and you make much more intentional decisions with the time that you have. So I think that does make such a big difference. And uh, I, I think for me, the clarity of the things that I want to do in my life and what I need to do and having actionable goals that really helped in my entrepreneurship journey. And I'm curious, when did you realize that you'd be a successful entrepreneur? Success is relative <laughs> for sure um, to each person. And, and one person's idea of success might be getting out of bed, you know, after a huge loss. Another person's idea of success is six figures, seven figures, whatever. So that is important to get clear on for yourself in each season of your life and knowing that each season will change. But for me, I have had the pleasure and, you know, privilege of impacting many, many people. No matter what I've done, I, I'm a big thinker. So you know, just in college, you know, it wasn't good enough to just improve the recycling program at my university. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to just change the environmental policy of all public universities in the state of Tennessee. <laughs> so I did that, you know, for four years. It took me four years. Um, but, you know, it's it's just funny because that's the way I think. I uh, founded a rock camp for girls with two of my best friends that then spawned other rock camps around the country and a rock camp alliance around the world. You know, so it's just maybe there are types of people who are maybe not less intimidated by the bigness, you know, of the dream or the goal. They're less intimidated by what it's going to take to get there. And I think I'm in that second group. I know the things are big, but I'm just too determined, you know, <laughs> to, to give up or to not reach my own potential. That's so awesome. And I can tell you that just from a brief conversation with you and not really knowing a whole lot about the work that you're doing. I'm very inspired by your personality and who you are as a person. I just, I absolutely love what you're doing and the energy that you're putting out is so, so awesome and positive. So thank you for sharing your awesome journey as a creator and entrepreneur. You mentioned a few projects that you're going to be working on in the coming future. So the first is my uh, energy management grid. That's a Google Doc or sorry, a Google Sheet. And um, that's what I was talking about, your set point of energy and gaining clarity on where you are at that moment and then just choosing one in that grid. But this grid has some features that are pretty cool. It'll, if you put in a time frame, it'll calculate how much your hours worth. Um, in that specific grid. So um, an example I always like to use for that is invoicing. So it goes in the um, 
low requirement, high return, because it only takes five minutes, but then you possibly get paid. <laughs> so if you can look at your day and your personal energy like that, it becomes clearer and clearer what you should be focusing on depending on your goal. So if your goal is self-care, then you would look at those grids and be able to see what was self-care. If your goal that week is money, then you would be able to calculate, oh, if I just get this done, I could receive this amount of money. So I like to really help people understand their energy first before they get all obsessed with time <laughs> because of what we talked about. It's it's not elusive, but it's definitive. So um, in, in the organized sense of how our brain perceives time, it can be a hindrance if you are not clear. So the, the Google sheet is going to be hopefully coming out soon. I can let you know it'll be on my website as well. And then I'm going to be working on some meditation tracks and hopefully going to have them out on, um, sound wise pretty soon would say by the end of the year, but you know, <laughs> creative projects can take on a life of their own as you know, from working in the music industry. And I, I also know that you have a few other things that you're doing between your creative mastermind and your private coaching. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about those uh, projects? Sure. The mastermind um, is more for just somebody who's more of a DIYer who needs a little encouragement that's self-paced and with me nudging you a little bit. Um, the private coaching is not a little, it's more intense. It's for, um, it's for people, creative people who are feeling like they've got, they got a sense of their forward motion. Maybe they have their uh, projects outlined really clearly and they're just having trouble feeling like their life flows together, you know, that they can overcome obstacles easily. Um, and have a sense of an organized life. And I always like to remind people that the word organized, it's actually coming from the root of organ, the instrument. And it's it's more of the sentiment of harmony versus order. So I like to say being organized is not about the details. It's about harmony in your life. And that can really help you feel better, you know, and happier. So that's what we're aiming for. So the private coaching is a combination of working with your personal systems and preferences to help you become organized in your own way, your own style, getting your sleep hygiene improved, um, and learning to measure your heart rate variability so that you can adapt your day and face whatever comes your way long-term. Uh, we can learn more about that at heartbeathive.com. So make sure to check that out. Anna, wow. Thank you so much for sharing your amazing, amazing story with our listeners. Uh, it was such a blast getting to know a little bit more about you and your business and what you do. And uh, thank you for being on with me today and sharing your amazing story with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me and sharing yours as well. I'm just really looking forward to what's in store for you and your your next, you know, step. You've already made one of those and had some realizations, you know, in the last year that are going to springboard you and keep you going. You're listening to The Creator's Edge Show, streaming on Apple, Spotify, and every major platform. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on Apple. It makes a big difference and it helps us create more content just like this. We hope you enjoy the show and we'll see you next time.